Here we go. True or false? Jesus was an only child. True or false? That is false. Okay, he had brothers and sisters. True or false? John and Jesus ministered together on several occasions. Personally ministering together. I, I know that they were in partnership, but physically they ministered together. Yes or no? That is absolutely false. They never did minister right in the, together back to back. When Jesus sent out his disciples to preach for the very first time, he told them, only go to the Jews. That's true. That's true. Did Jesus, or Jesus gave the 12 power to raise the dead the first time they were sent out? 50-50. That is true. From the very beginning, he gave them that authority and power. When the disciples were in the storm, and Jesus comes walking towards them, they see him, they are greatly relieved that he is coming. That is absolutely false. What did they do? They were afraid because they thought they were seeing a ghost coming after them. Okay, here we go. Jesus said he came to put a sword between families not to bring peace. That is true. Jesus was on the cross for just a couple hours. The understanding is it's probably several hours from... The understanding is typically from 9 to about 3 in the afternoon that he was on for several hours. Speaking of him on the cross, okay, that takes us into what we want to talk about this morning. If you came in now and in the last couple minutes you did not get a handout, I would strongly encourage you to raise your hand and have the ushers come and bring you one of those handouts. We are going to do something today that is probably very uncomfortable and I am nervous, nervous, nervous. I usually don't get this nervous about something, but I want to deal with the topic for the next three Sundays. The three Sundays I want to do with and keep you together is I want to deal with something that I've been putting off. The last time we did this as a church was four years ago, and I usually try to do it every three years, and so what I've been dealing, had dealt with is uh, several years ago was dealing with the very practical topic of death and dying, okay, and how, do, how that happens, what, what to do, what about the family, um, what about if you have somebody who is really, really ill, Okay, what does the Bible say about pulling the plug? What, is, what about, you know, when somebody is seriously ill? What's that going to be like for the family? How do we minister to them? When somebody passes away, the questions come up just in abundance. Is it proper to do cremation? What about organ donation? Um, we've had, in the last year, we've had a f- great number of people in our church die in the last year and a half, and as a result, I've been putting this off because I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable and bring up wounds that are still just starting to heal. However, I really believe I'm doing you a disservice and not helping, and it keeps on happening. It keeps on happening, and if we wait until nobody dies, okay, and so I need to do this to help you, to help one another, and to help you to plan and prepare. We are seeing too many people not being ready for this as families, and we could save a lot of heartache and a lot of hurt. And it could help you out immensely if you listen to what we're going to present. Now, I don't have all the answers to all these details. Some of what we're going to get into is medical questions. I am not trained in medicine, I'm just, and, and there's wide varieties. I don't have the legal background to talk about, you know, what part of a will, what about uh, putting things in trust. We're not going to talk about that. And I know that some of you with that background, you want to everybody to know a lot of those details. So you're going to give me the notes, you're going to give me the the information, I'll pass on what is pertinent, but some of this is not, some of what I'm doing is not geared to answer all those questions. Uh, What we want to deal with is from the Bible, what does the Bible talk about in this area, and what does the Bible give us in practical detail?
detail what we can do to help one another out and to answer some of those areas of the questions. And so what I'm going to talk about this morning, and I'm going to get very blunt at some moments, and I know for some of you I'm opening up wounds. You are going to revisit and revisualize some of the scenarios that will be all of a sudden be not described but be referred to. And so that's going to be uncomfortable. I'm hoping that we can do in three weeks and then take a Sunday evening and do something a little bit different uh, to have more input from a lot of folk here. Uh, and so the, the plan is just bear with me and for those of you that, that it, it's going to be uncomfortable, my apologies and yet you'll understand and you've been there, you know how important this is. Jesus is dying on the cross. When Jesus is dying on the cross, he makes seven different statements. They are well known. We know what he's talking about. We even studied six of these seven right before Easter in lieu of what we were going to talk about today. And he's going to, in that period of time, make these and cry out loud for, you know, some of them are very clearly in Scripture. He repeats those statements. Some of those statements were made just once. But as he is crying out and as he's going through his experience and then as he concludes, we can look and we can make some observations, some practical applications about what, what by his example, what are we going to go through. And so keeping in mind those comments, let me deal with several things that are truths from the Bible about death and dying. We all will die. Unless God miraculously intervenes, we are going to die. I know that you and I think that we are invincible. We say, if, I remember dealing with an undertaker one time and trying to share the gospel with him, and here's this man's life. And we were riding in the hearse, and he said, if I were to die... And it's like, wait a minute, of all people that you should know, it is a reality. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. We are going to die. And with that in mind, that means you as a family member are probably going to have to deal with this topic sometime because somebody in your family is going to pass away. When we die, we continue to live on. This is the hope. Into your hands I commend my spirit. This is the, the beauty that we as believers have, that when we pass, we are not ending our life. We are moving just from this realm and from this residency, we're moving to a new residency. We try to give that hope. We try to give that help when we do funeral services. When you talk with one another is that the individual is not is not gone or ceased to exist. When Deb's father passed away a few years ago, the reality that we have is he's still alive. He is moving, breathing, walking, talking. He is in his spirit body, feeling. He is himself. He is mobile. He is thinking. Does he think about us? We talked about some of that in that series on heaven, and I think they do, uh, based on scriptures on Revelation 6 as well as Luke chapter 15. Um, the, uh, the fact that those loved ones are still alive, and the reality is if they're born again, Again, they are doing better than they ever done on this earth. They are doing very, very well. The problem is we suffer the greater loss. They have the gain, we have the loss. And so it makes it difficult for us. But we know that we continue to live on. Absent from the body is you know, to be with the Lord. We understand that Jesus is preparing a place for us and he'll come and receive us to himself. But the reality is this. The actual process of dying is not always pleasant. It is not always you know, simplified. In fact, for people going through it, they might even have 
reluctance. They might even have scary moments. They might even have a very horrible experience. Okay, we tell the stories. I, as a preacher, do this. I give the stories that are the pleasant stories of somebody expiring. We talk about the time that a man in our church got saved when he was 80 years old or in his late 70s. And then a few years later, he went to the doctors and he was one of those individuals that didn't go to the doctor much at all. He goes to the doctor because he's having pain and they find out that he has such advanced cancer, there's nothing, or they they say he's got cancer, they do surgery, they find out there's nothing they can do, they basically open him up and close him. And they tell me he has just a few days to live. So he's in the hospital and all of his children, which were a good number of kids, they were gathered in the room and he had just gotten saved, like I said, about two, three years before this. And so they're in the room and dad had been a real rough character, but they said that he had drastically changed in these these couple, two, whatever it was, three years after he'd gotten born again. And they noticed the change. And they said one of the biggest impacts for them is when dad was expiring. All of a sudden he's there in the hospital on the third floor right around room 362 in in Good Sam at that time sat up in the bed and said they're here. And they said they've never seen him smile so much as he did that moment. He pointed to the door he said God's angels are here. He fell back dead. We hear those stories and those are the ones I want to relate because they're positive. That's not the way it always happens. If you as a believer are saying that when my parent or my loved one, when they pass, it's going to be a very, you know, it's going to be a a graduation. For them it will be, but that doesn't mean the moment works that way. There are going to be moments where all of a sudden there is pain. There could be moments where there is discomfort. There could be moments for some of you who have had that experience with a family member who all of a sudden they are thrashing. They are not in peace. Sometimes there are, there are expulsions from the body that make the moment really, really difficult and horrible. And unless there's an awareness that that is a possibility, believers get shocked. Because the only stories we hear are the stories of peace and comfort and everybody is doing a hand-raising hallelujah, but it doesn't always work that way. For some people walking through the death experience, even believers, they don't want to go through it. I think that's probably true of most of us. We are not desirous to go through an illness. We are not desirous to go through heart disease. We are not looking for and wanting to have a moment where there is pain and there is agony or we lose, we lose ability to control our body functions. We lose our thinking capacity. Here, here, this is me. I probably I'm the only one in the room. I fear I lose control of my mouth and start saying things from my heart. Because my heart is desperately wicked. And I could lose all, any semblance of, of reputation or testimony for Jesus Christ by some of the vile stuff that could come out of my mouth. And so, I, again, I'm probably the only one in the room like that. But there are those, that is the reality. I'm not trying to make, it, make you say, okay, this is going to be, a, you know, this is going to be bad for everybody. But be, be realistic, this can happen. People on medicine can get pretty strong at times. Okay? It can be pretty gross at times. And so, you know, it's not always this pleasant experience. Jesus Christ had a, had a reaction to being separated from the Father and going through that. He said, let the cup pass from me. And, and there, was some, there was some trauma. Okay? 
And at the same time, God answered his prayer and restored him to that capacity where he and the Father weren't separated, and so there was the beauty of it. But the reality is, death is not easy for the individual at times. It is not easy for the family and friends. Well, if we're saved... Okay, how, how did Jesus say it? In our Sunday school class, we just talked about it. You should be happy for me that I say I go to the Father. And we understand that up here, but it gets tough here. If all of a sudden you're saying goodbye at a casket to a loved one, your husband, your wife, your child, your brother, sister, parent, who are born again, you know they're going to be with the Lord. And somebody will say, well, you're saved, you shouldn't have any sorrow. Really? Really, you're going to lay that guilt on another brother or sister? I, I, and I hear that. I stand with families. And I hear at times where somebody comes up and says, you shouldn't be sorrow, sorrowful because they're in heaven. Okay. Folk who have lost loved ones, are you glad they're in heaven? Yes. You're, and that's a relief and that's a comfort. But would you rather have them here with you? Yes? I, I think that's, that's a whole lot of us. And we would say, I'd rather have them here with me, and then we all get raptured together. It would be a lot easier. Okay, am I glad that, that they're in heaven and they're restored? I understand that part of it too. But it's not, it's not easy. And please don't do this to one another. Don't do this to an individual to go up and say, I don't understand why, you're, I don't understand why you were crying when Ken passed away. You should be glad that he's with the Lord. This is me. I want to smack when somebody says that. I really do, okay? And if I do, I'm in trouble, okay? But I really want to smack the people who say that kind of stuff. You lost your child. Your child is gone. Just be thankful they're in the arms of Jesus. He's taking care of them much better than you could. Is there a truth to that theologically? What mother wants to hear that, right? Okay, do those things get said? Yes, they do. Do they come out of the mouth of believers? Yes, they do. And I still want to smack them. Okay. It is really difficult for family members. Okay. So we're going to talk about the things you say and the things you don't say. By the way, probably we can talk about the things you don't say because we've all been there and done that. That's the ones we remember. Let me make another observation from the life of Christ. Oh, 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 I know what I wanted to mention here. This is hard for family members because obviously their love for the person. It's hard for them. The reality is right after somebody passes, you don't have time. You're in shock. You're in shock. For a lot of you, you're in shock. Even though somebody says, well, they went through an illness, so it made it easier. <laughs> it's still hard. It's still hard. Okay. You, you may have thought through some things, but it's still really hard. Because things become more final. You knew it was coming, coming, but all of a sudden it happens. Should I give you a reality? After somebody dies, there's all those little things that happen that makes it more final. You don't want to fill out your taxes. Why? Because when you fill out your taxes now that they're gone, that's one more finality that you're no longer doing taxes together. You, you don't want to close out the bank accounts. Why? There's a reality of another remembrance. I'm on my own from now. You don't want to go shopping at times anymore. Why? Because now instead of us going shopping together and split in the store and you go this way and I go that way so we can get out of here faster, now you've got to do it yourself. All these little remembrances make it hard. You know what it's like. Some of you lost a parent and all of a sudden you're walking through your yard and you see that rose bush over there and it just brings the torrent 
because mom loved the roses. And you have those moments. We all have those moments. But what's really difficult is when it happens, that first day, two, this is what you get, get overwhelmed with. All of a sudden, you've got these questions. If there's an illness, you've got to make a decision. As soon as you made that decision, you've got to make another decision. You don't want to make any decision. You don't want to do anything. But you're just being asked, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Within the first minutes of it happening, there's people like me at your door who are saying, okay, here's what you need to decide. Sorry, but you need to decide what funeral home. You need to decide, you've got to tell somebody, are you going to do an organ donation? What are you going to do here? You're so in shock, you don't know what to say, but some, somebody's got to pull it out of you. You know, so, you know what would really, 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 really help your family members at these moments? What would really help them is sit down and do some preparation ahead of time. Fill out one of the forms we give you next week so that your family members don't feel overwhelmed with the decision-making, but all of a sudden they have this paper they can go to, and then they know all these answers that you've already talked about. When you've been in a clean thought pattern, it will help your family immensely. It could help you if it happened in your home. But we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk because it's morbid to talk about it. Because if we talk about it, you know, when you talk about something, it's going to happen. You'll make it happen. What type of superstition is that for a Christian? Okay. The Bible indicates we're supposed to prepare. And so what we need to do is prepare our family. And we'll, again, I'll give you some documents next week, multi-page documents. Sit down. Here's a shame. You don't prepare. And all of a sudden, men... Ladies, whoever the breadwinner is, you pass. Do they know about your insurances? Do they know that you had any kind of pension at work? Does your spouse know that there was an insurance plan they could have applied for? He could have applied for at work to help with the initial costs of a funeral. Somebody's got to pay for this, and funeral homes don't do this gratis. They ask for the money. Now, there's one very tacky funeral home in our town that I've seen it happen twice now. During the viewing, he makes sure he comes up and says, I need to make sure you give me the check. Okay. And I never recommend that funeral home, but it's happened twice now. Okay, so they want their money. You've got to come up with it or come up with a plan. Wouldn't it be a whole lot better if your family knew? What about the accounts? What about, and speaking about accounts, do you, have you even thought through that? If something happened to me, do they have, does somebody have access to the checking account, to the savings account? If something happened to me, now we, we've got different, but I'll go back to a, a generation before me, okay, two generations before. My grandfather dies, my grandmother has no clue. She was kept in total isolation. She didn't know how to write a check, number one. She had no access to any of his accounts until things were probated. How did she live for the next few weeks to pay the normal bills? That could have been taken care of, but all of a sudden that added stress on top of everything else is, I, I can't buy groceries. I can't, you know, it, it, there is, there's a reality that says, think this through and plan ahead and make it easier. For what, what about your children? Those of you who still have minors at home, who's going to take care of them? Where is this stated? Do you realize that families get in fights in court over kids after parents have had incidents and accidents? 
In you, of, if you're born again, what, where do you want your kids to end up residing? A Christian home? Anything go home? I would want, when I was a parent, I wanted them in a Christian home so they would learn, learn my values. Okay? And so we needed to make some plans. Well, what would happen? Because we probably go out of the house at times, and accidents do happen when you get in a car. In fact, accidents happen within the house. Okay? And those, those, there could be, there could be a, a life-threatening situation. Who's going to take care of your kids? If all of a sudden, it, this doesn't happen to people our age. Okay? Some of you are thinking. What about the young man working in Hershey right now who had a brain aneurysm? His, it popped. Never knew it was there. It popped. He, and all of a sudden, he's there for a period of time. Now, he's recovered slowly. But can people at age 30, 20, have those types of situations happening in their body and not even be aware of it? Yes. If you have a child in your home, it it's just behooves you to make some preparations and plans. What happens to that child if something happens to you and your spouse? It's just absolutely critical. And by the way, it's not easy. There is all kinds of legalities that follow up in those types of things. There has to be, for whoever's left behind, they have to deal with trusts. Insurance companies aren't going to give money to a minor. They have, you have to have some type of format and plan. What about a trust? Who should they see? What should they do? What about who's going to pay for the well-being? If you have any children like I had, they want to eat. Even if I wasn't one that wasn't there. If something happened to Deb, Deb and I, the kids still would want to eat. They still would need clothes. They still need to go to school. Who's going to pay for those things? Okay, we had, the say, we had the insurances. We had all the stuff laid out. Who is going to have access to this? How is it supposed to be set up? Some very practical, mundane things that need to be thought through. And it doesn't take a long time. And you're not morbid. You actually are fulfilling your biblical responsibilities of, of providing for your family. Let's, let's go on a little bit. Okay? There's hardness here for the individuals left behind because of the changes in loneliness. You realize how hard it is for some of the people who have lost their loved ones to come to church? You all have your pew, right? And some of you changed this morning, okay? But you have your pew. How difficult would it be if I died for Deb to come in here, you don't know this, okay, and she can only answer that, to sit at the same spot? For the majority of you who have been through this, it's hard to go back to that same spot. And to all of a sudden, there, there's, you, know, you, you have changes in friends. All of a sudden, you are couples' friends. You're not a couple anymore. It changes. Your, your life changes drastically. And some of the very people that you go to church with, they, they don't connect with you as much as they used to. And there's a loneliness. There's a change. There's a lot of evenings where you're by yourself now. Or there's an empty piece of furniture, or there's an empty bed in the house. It's you know you don't want to go in and change your teenager's room if they expired. You want them to come back, and it's a whole change. Then it's difficult, and some of the people that you worship with, they never stop by. They just say to you, "Hey, how you doing? We're praying for you." That's really good. That's good. Don't don't get me wrong, but there's. To go and visit a widow, 
it's uncomfortable, they might cry, that could be really good for them. You could really, well, I don't want to put my kids in uncomfortable spots. Hey, guys, train your kids. This is life. Train your kids to minister. James says, where is love within the Christian church? Where is real religion? Visiting the widows and the orphans. That's true religion. So it's hard. It's difficult. Let's, let's continue on. We can be confident of our destiny after death. Aren't you glad you can know you're going to be with the Lord? Isn't that the positive of all this? I know that we're going to be regathered together. In a, by the way, let, let's lay the reality out. In a hundred years from now, you're going to be with your loved one who's with the Lord. In a hundred years from now, I'm hoping none of us, uh, well, this is for me. I don't want to be here in a hundred years from now. Okay? I want to be with the Lord. And so to know, just to be absolutely sure, this thing called death is a reality for all of us unless God miraculously intervenes with the rapture, which we all would like. But that thing called death is going to be a reality for us. We're going to face it. The hope we have is that we're going to heaven. We're going to be with Christ. We should prepare for that time ahead of time. Jesus makes the statement when he's praying to the Father. He, in clear conscience, says to the Father, I have finished all the works that you have given me to do. So he's got things. He's been preparing. He's been planning. He's been moving towards that moment. As well, we're going to leave behind the family members. There should be preparations done for them. I've alluded to that a little bit this morning. I'll develop that a little bit more next week. As hard as this all is, God can use the death, the illness of somebody for his glory. He can use it for good. We read when Jesus died that people respond. We're the beneficiaries of Jesus' death. But we go to John chapter 11 and we have the story of Lazarus dying. In John chapter 11, look down in verse 4. John 11 verse 4, Jesus is talking about this, this terminal illness of Lazarus. This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God. What's he mean by that? Lazarus is going to die. John eleven four. Lazarus is going to die and it's a reality that he dies but the point is it wasn't about the end being death. The idea is it's not about moving to the moment and here's the climax, here's the highlight of this whole experience. It's death. No, it's about the glory of God. That was a process. That was a procedure. That was a staircase, his death experience. And by the way, he died again later. It was all for the glory of God. He's making it very clear. The glory of God is the pivotal point of this terminal illness. It's God's glory. It's not we're leading this person to or helping this person to get through the process of death. The bigger picture is the glory of God. Then he makes a statement to his disciples. He says, by the way, this whole process is beneficial for you disciples. Lazarus passing away, it's a good thing for him. It brings glory to God. It's going to bring glory to God. But it's also good for you. Look at verse 15. He says in John 11 verse 15, he says, Disciples, this is good. And I am so glad that we weren't there, that Lazarus did pass away. And we're going to go there. We're going to minister to him. But I'm so glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. They're already born again. He's talking about build up your faith. For the believers, the death experience, the, the illness experience is one that can really help build our faith. Oh, does it challenge our faith? Big time. Does it undermine my faith to a degree or and try to? Big time. But it's for the glory of God. It can help me through it. In fact, go to verse 45. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, it says afterwards, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, they what? They believed on him. Can people get saved as a result of a death? Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. It's so, it, it is amazing. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians 15, he is writing and he is saying that, uh, he makes that comment, 1 Corinthians 15, he says that some have believed and you've been, and have been baptized for the dead. Do you remember this, that phrase in 1 Corinthians 15? Baptism for the dead. The Mormon church grabs that and says what we should do is we should get baptized in proxy for our, for our ancestors. That's why they're very big in what facet of of study. Genealogies, because you want to get baptized for your grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-great-great-great, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great. Okay, because they take that verse that's saying baptism will bring about forgiveness of sin. That's the premise. Baptism brings about forgiveness of sin, so we get baptized for the dead. That's not what it says. Why? How do I know that? Because baptism doesn't take away anybody's sin. True? Okay, what takes away sin? Okay, repentance, being converted, faith in Jesus Christ, all that being the same thing. Baptism is only what? A portrait of what Christ has done. It isn't, the, it isn't that which gets me saved. It shows that I am saved. Okay, so what does he mean in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says people are getting baptized for the dead? The word for can be translated by a better English word that we would understand because of. Okay? We do that all the time. We use for in the sense of because of. Some people are now, he's saying, getting baptized because of the dead. What's that mean? That some people have gotten saved and are now following the Lord because of somebody's, somebody who passed away and God used their testimony, their witness, their funeral to bring me to the point that I made that decision. Does that ever happen in 2000s? Have people ever gotten saved because they sit in a funeral service and hear a gospel message? Yes, some of you can raise your hand and say that's happened right here. Okay. There's, there's that, that contact that all of a sudden, as some family members, some of you are going to have that experience. As you go through it, all of a sudden, when somebody is looking at another person's terminal illness, it helps them to realize, by the way, me too. It brings, it brings a real strong, we're all, we're all terminal. And so that on how you as an individual deal with this or deal with a loved one's passing, you can, it can create tremendous opportunities to witness. Tremendous opportunities. Now here's the question. Oh, well, let me, let me fill in before I bring the question. We know this verse, all things work together for good. In what ways can God bring good out of an illness? In what ways can God bring good out of a family death? Here's several of them, okay? We already mentioned that this, and by the way, John 9 is the man who was born blind, that this isn't because of mom and dad's sin, this is for the glory of God. God can be glorified. In Romans, he talks about, and in James, that all these things are for the growth of the believers. We mentioned that in John 11, verse 15. But the believers can grow, that all of a sudden there is the, the faith works patience, patience, perfection, or maturity. In Philippians, he talks about him being in jail was for the spread of the gospel into the house of, of Caesars. We read in 2 Corinthians 1 that these things have fallen out or happened unto me so that what I can do is give comfort to those who are, need, are in need of comfort. I've been comforted to comfort others. So it opens up an opportunity for you. And this is the passage that has been convicting my heart that's saying that we have missed, I have missed what God is doing in our church. That God has had multiple 
different, different situations in the last two years where families have lost loved ones. And instead of bemoaning the fact and saying, please, not another one, we should be looking at this verse and saying, this is happening in our ministry so that we can take that comfort that some have been given, they can turn around and use it to help comfort others and use it as an outreach opportunity. That individuals in our church who have gone through this can give them a venue, a platform that they can minister to people within the community to share the gospel and to help others out based on that idea, comforted so that you can comfort others. There's another idea here. Okay, In 2 Corinthians he says, lest I should be lifted up above measure because of all the revelations that I have given, God gave me this illness, this thorn in the flesh. God sometimes allows situations into our life to prevent us from doing more evil, to prevent us from getting into another different scenarios. We are convinced in my, my family, my brother and sister whose daughter just died in the last uh, two months, they are convinced this is what God did, that God took this, their daughter home to prevent just bad, bad decisions going any worse, and that God in his grace has been very merciful to their daughter to help her to be able to be released from some of the struggles that she was having so that she could then have that peace that she's been longing for for years and years and years. And as a result, being with the Lord where she should have been close to him all along, he in his grace has taken her home at this time before things got worse. Can God do that? I'm convinced he does in scenarios. To show his grace and strengthening. Do you remember he says, when I am weak, then am I strong. And so God uses these situations, puts it. We also know that sometimes there's the correction of the saints, that God uses these situations to turn people around. And so it happens. It happens. Now, our question, and this is, this is to me very, very critical for you and I to talk about for a minute here. We can either hinder or help the spread of the gospel in these situations. Let's take, let's take the scenario of a death, Okay. And in the scenario of the death, there's some things that have to happen right away. And how can you, what can you do practically that could help the spread of the gospel? Um, the way you respond, how you, how you react. And by the way, we're going to sorrow. Sorrow is not a problem. Jesus even wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Sorrowing isn't an issue. But, the, uh, but if there is, there is sorrow with hope... And that is relayed by the individuals going through that. Your response to the crises, how you deal with it. Do you get angry at God? Do you get bitter? Do you get bitter at everybody else? Do you, do you react against the other people who are trying to help? You're confused. You're hearing some, you want some people to be near, but you don't want anybody to be near. You're just on this roller coaster, and so we need to be careful how we respond so we enhance the gospel and not push people away from the gospel. What we, um, what we do towards that person that person just lost a loved one, and we want to help them. What we say could enhance the gospel, or what we don't say could, could hinder the gospel. And how we respond to them, and if we do minister, if we don't minister. There are some people who are on borderline faith. They are this close, and they suffer a great tragedy in their home. And they, you've been trying to witness to them. If you don't come, if you don't do what Jesus did and show up, to be of some assistance and just offer yourself, that could hinder the gospel immensely. You say, but I'm so busy. The gospel is more important than our busyness. And so it's a matter of saying, okay, we need to, we need to look out, reach out, and try to help. Some people are really struggling. Hey, um, what you do in a funeral service is huge. 
Now again, you understand, I'm coming from the perspective that I'm mostly involved in. So I can speak to this more. What happens in a funeral service amazes me at times. Okay? Um, and it can really enhance the gospel. It can be a detriment. Uh, let me just talk in a practical sense. Okay. If you, <clears throat> excuse me, if, um, reverting here. If you uh, have a loved one who's in the military, chances are you're going to say, okay, it's cheaper to bury him where? At the gap. Let's be practical about it. Funerals aren't cheap. This is very mundane. I know this sounds terrible, but this is, this is helping people through the reality of, <laughs> let me back up. Some, we've, we've not had, a, there's not a whole lot of these guys in Lebanon. There used to be, one, one, one years ago, who when people died, he would do this statement. He'd say, well, if you really want to show them how much you love them, here's a really special casket. It has a DVD player. It has, you know, headphones. You know, it's got reclining cushions. And it's like, really? Really? You know, and, and the guilt was, the more, you know, the idea is if you loved them, you're going to spend... Yeah, really? Really? Seriously? Does the person who's passed away really care? Okay. Uh, you know, a pine box can do. Oh, by the way, it's legal too. Okay. Um, so, you know, th- there's these, these guilt factors, and people are, are struggling, and you say, okay, should I, shouldn't I, what do I do? And we really, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da. And so you, you were, we're trying to help people through this and talk about it and, you know, be practical and wise in what they do because really they have to stop and think that they got to live. If there's kids involved, they got to live. You know, that is their first responsibility. And so uh, you're walking through, and so people will look, and they'll say, well, how can we save some monies? And so the military, you have that benefit. You can go up to the gap. And uh, the widows of those who, men who are in the military, they can also be buried there later at that same site. And so the government still offers that opportunity at this point. Now, you're, you're doing a gap funeral. Um, it doesn't mean you get to pick everything. You're dealing with the government. You call, your funeral home is going to call, and they're going to say, well, these are the only dates open for the gap. And they're going to give you certain times. You better show up at that certain time. Okay, because the gap works this way. They give you your 25-minute your, uh, or 30-minute slot. And if we show up late at the fu- from the funeral service, and we're, f- we're just a couple minutes late, guess what? We wait until there's a gap at the gap. Okay. Your, your slots, you, you, you forfeited your slot. You've got to show up at this time, and it's not, there's not this huge window. You show up at this time. So what did the funeral directors always tell the preacher? You, gotta, you, you, you can't preach like you normally do, Wayne. Okay? You've got to stop at this time because we need this many minutes to get through Lebanon to get to the gap. So there's a time frame. Okay? There's a time frame. The family says, make sure you present the gospel. Give a clear gospel witness. Great, I'll do that. I love that. I go to funerals where they don't do it. I am a wreck. You ever been to funerals where they don't present the gospel? It's like, can I speak? Okay. Because you want to share the gospel. It's like everybody's sitting here and it's like, y'all, y'all. My, my pet peeves at funerals is canonizing people. Okay, the eul- and I have no problem with a little bit of eulogizing, and to make it personal. But I'm amazed how some people become so saintly after they're dead, and now the loved ones really love them. 
Couldn't show up for the last two years when they've been ill. But they show up, kind of like vultures, at the, uh, I'm really, I shouldn't be saying this, okay. But they show up at that moment to really show their compassion, their love, their concern. Never been there before. That, that irritates me, obviously. Okay, so we're sitting in funeral service, and here is just, think this through. If you say we want to have everybody to say their tribute remarks, okay, can tribute remarks get carried away? There was a funeral that I was told about. You, you guys are telling me about the one that just before Don's funeral, the week or so before, it was opened up to tributes, and the service went an hour and a half. You're still cringing. You go, and everybody that's mentioned that the service was like, oh, it went so long, it went so long. And even the funeral director told me, it went so long, it went so long. And so there's these comments being made and made and made. Okay, um, and, and there's a time and a place for it. However, if that is done, where does the preaching get put in if you're on a time gap? Okay? So, and it's happened. Where all of a sudden we want to do all these tributes. Everybody makes tributes, nice, sweet, you know, and it's, it's, it's nice, it's good. Now you've got to preach and you've got one minute. There's no way in creation I can do that, okay? That I can give a clear gospel witness to tell people how they need to get born again in 60 seconds. Yeah, okay. You've got to get saved. It's like holding up the sign, John 3.16, Okay. You know, at the football game. That'll do it. That's evangelism. Okay. And so, even something so practical about the service. Can, can I give you something practical about the service? You, you have your loved ones filled there. You've got a lot of unsaved loved ones, and you want them to hear the gospel. Okay, so we want to present the gospel in a, in a tactful way. You want them to be comfortable in the service. Okay? In the sense that they don't tune out right away. Do you know what I mean? Yes, no? Okay. But you want to sing a lot of songs. What about in a service where you're going to sing a lot of songs and those people have no clue what you're singing? And so three of you are singing. Four of you, okay. Well, let's make 20 of you are singing out of the 100. The others, do they feel comfortable or do they all of a sudden just, is there an immediate fence that can go up? That it's like, I'm, I'm an outsider. This is for the others. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so when, when we do a service and we do singing, what's the thing you want to make sure you put in these people's hands? Okay, you, you want to, okay, not give them a book, but you want to give them the words. You want to give them the music. Okay, something so simple as, okay, let us, let us print you something and let's put the music, put the words so that if they do read music, they have a chance to even follow along. Or how about if we pick music that are kind of songs that are very familiar? I'll give you one that everybody knows. Yeah, you know it. Amazing Grace. Everybody knows Amazing Grace. They've heard it on a bagpipe somewhere, sometime. Okay, it's always been you know. So people can do that one. You know, if nothing else, Elvis sang it, so they know it's good. Okay. <laughs> it's it's what I'm trying to say here is these little things can enhance or create um, just kind of a, a block. Think through. Think through if we're going to do, you know, in the service or what's the conversations. Think through about being, being honest if you're going to make a tribute. <laughs> I did a funeral service years ago. 
And um, the person, sweet guy, sweet guy. Some of you remember this. Sweet guy, born again, uh, struggled with alcoholism, just continued to struggle back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And just uh, a dear, 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 dear man. So I'm doing the funeral service, and everybody who's showing up besides the immediate family is the coworkers. And so I, I shouldn't have probably done it this way, but in my mind I was convinced, yeah, I'm not going to gloss over. I'm going to make the acknowledgement that what everybody's thinking. So I started off, and the basic first part was that so-and-so-so was dear guy. We became good friends. You know, he was saved, and yet he was an alcoholic. That was true. That was, that's what everybody's thinking. My word. Two of these ladies, I thought they were going to have a coronary at that moment. They just reacted, physically reacted like, oh. yeah. And yet when I would go by the workplace and talk to those two ladies to find out where, what was happening with the guy, they were his greatest critics because of the alcohol. They knew it. But in funerals, we're not supposed to be, you know, you're not supposed to tell the truth. I remember sitting in one of, this is many, many years ago, sitting in a funeral service, and I'm like, here, the family's up there, the preacher's up there at the front, and the preacher's doing this eulogizing of the individual. And um, we're there because of the family. We didn't know the person who passed away. So they're eulogizing, excuse me, they're eulogizing and talking about the family. Finally, with a loud voice, the one sibling turned to the other and said, I have no clue who he's talking about, but that wasn't my father. <laughs> I did just what I did now. I giggled. Shouldn't have giggled because, you know, then, but, you know, be realistic. Just point out things. Um, there's great wisdom. This takes back the idea of preparing, pre-planning. Like Christ, we should minister to people who are dying or dealing with the death of a loved one. Jesus went out, out of his way. What should we say? We're going to talk about this. Things we should say. There is a process of what you can do immediately, what in those next few days. But the hardest part is the, the last. Because immediately there's people around. The first few days there's people around. When does it get hard, people? Yeah, when all of a sudden it's quiet around the house. Okay, now how do you minister? And what should we do to help them focus on it? There's lots of questions to ask. Now we're talking for a moment here, and I'm going to wrap up. We're talking about the different questions that come up that are in this issue. And on your notes, I put down some of the questions. What do we do when a relative loved one dies? Who do we contact? These are practical questions. What funeral home should we work with? Can anything be done to make it easier for the family before? What about cremation, organ donation? What about viewings? There are strong opinions on all of these, is there not? Okay? I mean, if we, if we went by a poll through this room, okay, a lot of you are going to say this, I don't want anybody looking at me after I'm dead. Okay? I want to look my best after I'm dead. You know, they'll get a good picture finally. Um, you know, others, there's a wide variety of opinions here. Here's one that's, that's very important. Here's one that's reality for some of you. How do you know when it's time, if you have a loved one who's ill, how do you know when to pull the plug? This creates a whole series of questions that I wanted to talk about briefly. The issues that we have is this. Modern science, for all of its benefit of extending life, has created a whole new set of bioethical issues. When is death? When is death? When does somebody die? When they go into a coma? Hmm. Okay. 
And how do we decide? There has been a real flow back and forth in medical science of being real active in this and then being real passive. Terry Schiavo, anybody remember? Remember the situation just, what is it, 2013, 2014? The big, big debates. When do we do this? Okay, obviously I've run out of time because I've just meandered.